0: It's pretty easy for us to be enticed with new. Like a new car, a new home. This is cute. A new job, a new trend, a new look, a new you. Nope. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Our Creator seems to be all about new. Like a new promise, a new command, Hi. new life, Hi. new mercies, and even a new year. God not only loves new, but promises to make all things new. And we are invited into this sacred work. Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata talks about how at 17 years of age she became a quadriplegic. She was diving into the Chesapeake Bay, misjudged how deep the water was, and she broke her neck. They rushed her to the hospital and they did extensive tests on her there at the hospital. And while she was there at the hospital on a stretcher covered by only a sheet, the sheet fell off of her, leaving her partially exposed. In her modesty, she wanted to cover herself up. She wanted to be able to pick up that sheet and put the sheet back over her. But what her mind wanted to do, her arms and her hands would not do. Something that she could do easy in the past, she could not do at all. Her mind said one thing, her body said another. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? Your mind knows what you want to do. Your mind is trying desperately to tell your body to do it. And yet, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort and energy you put into it, you're just not able to do it. Well, what Johnny Erickson Tata experienced physically, Paul talks about spiritually, in Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. And while you're finding that passage, I want us to do a little review, okay? And and we're going to review what we've been talking about since the middle of September. And if you're new, that's okay. Because what we're going to be talking about and what I'm going to be sharing with you is easy for you to learn. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul gave us one simple truth. He told us that all of us are in a state before God. And he said that state was we are what? We are, does anybody remember? We are, we are guilty. We are guilty. We have all sinned against God. We have all broken His commands. We have all rejected His rule and replaced it with our own. And because we are guilty of sinning against our Creator, a holy God, we all deserve death. And we all deserve to be eternally separated from Him in a place called hell. And in Romans 1-3, through Paul makes the case that all of us, each and every one of us, me, you, everyone is guilty before God. But in chapters 4 and 5, Paul gives us some good news. He tells us that God has given us something that each and every one of us probably get at Christmas time. God has given us a what? A a gift. He has given us the gift of eternal life. He has forgiven our sins. He has made us right with Himself. And the way that He has done that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then He did something He did not have to do. He died on a cross in our place. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You and I have sinned. We deserve to die. Jesus never sinned. He didn't deserve to die, but he died nevertheless. He died in our place, and he gave us the gift of God, which is eternal life. But here's the catch. Here's the key. For this gift to do us any good, we have to receive it. A gift given is no good until that gift is received. And the Bible says the way that we receive the gift of God is through placing our faith in Jesus. We trust Him. We surrender to Him. Now since January, we've been looking at Romans 6 and following, and we've been seeing how our faith not only gives us a home in heaven, faith gives us a new life, a new beginning, a fresh start. You see, the Bible says when we place our faith in Jesus, we are literally born again. We are made new. In chapter 6, Paul tells us that our old life that was controlled by sin has died, and we have been raised to live a new life controlled by God's Spirit. But here's the deal. You don't have to be a Christian for very long to realize that there is still a battle raging within you. We read Romans 6 and we read how our old sinful self died and we think that's good. But we're a Christian for a couple of weeks and we think that that old sinful self was resurrected from the dead, don't we? Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, when I became a Christian I thought I had drowned the old man in me. But I found that rascal could swim. And if we're honest, every single Christian feels the same way. Every single Christian experiences the same struggle. We get saved. We're overwhelmed with the love of God, the forgiveness of God. We love Him, and we long to live for Him with all of our hearts. We're ready to change the world. And a day goes by, maybe two perhaps a little bit longer. Everything is wonderful but then somehow, some way it happens. We find ourselves falling right back into that same old pit of sin. The old words, the old attitudes, the old thoughts, the old habits, the whole actions start showing back up and we begin to think where did that come from? Where did that word come from? Where did that thought come from? How could I have ever done that? You see, the truth is there are times that we find ourselves doing the same thing over and over again, committing the same embarrassing sins time and time again even though we don't want to. We desire Desperately to break free from sin and its power, and yet it seems like it's a constant, everyday struggle. And we begin to wonder, did I really get saved? Did I really mean business with God? That happened to me. I got saved when I was 8 years old. And let me just say, Jesus changed my life. I was convicted of my sin. I knew my only hope was in Jesus. And that Sunday morning, as best I knew how as an 8-year-old boy, I gave my life to Jesus. And everything did change. And everything went pretty good for several years. And then I got into the teenage years. And I began making some wrong choices that led to some wrong lifestyle choices that got me caught up in sin now let me tell you a little bit about that period I was miserable I would literally come home at night from doing things that I knew I shouldn't do and my heart was broken I would cry myself to sleep at night I went off to college I continued to live that way And during my freshman year of college something happened there was an event there was an experience that that God used to grab my heart and at two o'clock in the morning I went out by a pond in Charleston South Carolina fell on my face before God and said God if I'm not saved I want you to save me I'm so sorry for living the way I've been living the next morning I called my mom and told her. And my mom said, I know. God woke me up in the middle of the night and I was praying for you and God spoke to my heart and said, Rocky's okay. And I got to tell you, I was on fire. I surrendered to God's call on my life and everything was great for a matter of weeks. (laughs) And then some of the same temptations started cropping back up in my life. And I've got to be honest with you, i fell failed to some of them. And then it seemed like there were some brand new temptations that began to come up. And I began to wonder, did I really mean business with God? Did I really get saved? Did God really change my life? Maybe you felt like that too. Maybe there's been a point in your life where you really meant business with God. And as best you knew how, you trusted him to forgive you. You gave your life to him. You wanted to live for him. But somewhere, somehow, that sin started creeping back into your life. And and it seems like that it is an everyday struggle. That happened to me. It still happens to me. I I don't fall to, to some of those sins that I fell to when I was 18 and And 19 years old but I got to tell you the sins I fall to today are just as bad maybe even worse and may I say to you in all honesty and all transparency if you knew some of the thoughts that went through my mind if you knew some of the things that come into my head when I'm asleep at night you would probably never want me to stand back up here again I struggle with things like that. And I imagine if for just a moment you would be honest, you will have to admit that you do too. And the truth of the matter is the apostle Paul did. Paul. The greatest theologian the world has ever known. Paul the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, Paul. I mean, we read his writings and we think this man was right next to Jesus, Paul. He had the kind of struggles that I have. He had the kind of struggles that you have. And he tells us here that that these struggles are common to each and every one of us. And so in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and following, Paul just pulls back the curtain of his life. And he says, for just a moment, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to let you in to my every day. I want you to hear that. My every day struggle. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 14. So the trouble is not with me or the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. We talked about that last week. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is, is jesus christ our lord so you see how it is in my mind i really want to obey god's law but because of my sinful nature i am a slave to sin now it may be hard to believe but these verses are some of the most controversial verses in the entire new testament since these words were written Many sincere Christians have disagreed on, on who is Paul is talking about and when he is talking about. There are some people that say Paul is, is describing an unbeliever, and there's a reason, a good reason, to believe that. He uses language that seems to describe a person before they turn their life over to Christ. He tells us that we are slaves to sin, yet in chapter 6, He tells us that sin is no longer our master. He says that we are living lives that are dominated by sin and death. He says in verse 18, nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. How could that be describing someone in which the Holy Spirit lives? This is the view that John Wesley and and many of the Puritans have that Paul was talking about an an unbeliever. And then there are other people that believe that Paul was describing a carnal or an immature believer, a believer who has not yet discovered the victory that they can have over sin through the power of God's Spirit. This particular view has been popularized by Hudson Taylor's book, Spiritual Secrets. Watchman Nee's book, The Normal Christian Life, and, and Ian Thomas's book, The Saving Life of Christ. These men and others teach that Romans 7 is describing a carnal Christian, one who has not yet learned how to live the exchanged life. When we learn that secret that it is not I but Christ in me, we can break through the experience of Romans 7 and move into Romans 8. They would say it's apparent that Paul was describing a time in his life and a time in our life when we've not yet discovered what it means to live under the Spirit's control. Now in others, including myself, believe that Paul is talking about himself and he's talking about every single believer. This is the view held by Augustine, Calvin, Luther, and many others. Now it's obvious that Paul was talking about himself because he uses that word I over 40 times in this section. And so it's clear, Paul is not talking about some hypothetical person out there. He's talking about himself. And if you study in detail Romans chapter 7, you will discover that verses 1 through 13, Paul is speaking in the past tense. He's speaking about something that happened in the past. But in verse 14 and following, Paul changes to the present indicative tense. He's speaking about something that is happening to his life right now. Now, he's describing his present situation. Listen to what he says. He says, I don't understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't. I do what I hate. I do what I don't want to do. And we could change that up, couldn't we? We could say, I I, I don't say what I want to say. We could say, I don't think what I want to think. We could say, I don't act like I want to act. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, I got to tell you, I experience it on a regular basis. You see, we are a new creation. The Bible says we've been given a new heart, we've been given a new mind, we've been given a new spirit, and yet at the same time, we still have this sinful body. You see, Paul is using himself as an example to show us that every single Christian has a war raging inside of them. Paul says that he wants to do what is right. And he's not just talking about being a good man. He's talking about doing what is right in God's eyes. Paul's desire is to be a righteous man. He desperately wants to honor God in everything he does, but in spite of that, in spite of what he wants, he finds himself more often than not, he finds himself more than he wants to admit, he's doing those things that he hates. And when he does, the Bible says he's grieved. The Bible says that he is miserable. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. In verse 17, he says these words. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. You see, when you get saved, the old self, the old nature, doesn't go away. The old self, the old nature, doesn't even lose its strength. You are just given a new nature. It's kind of like you become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Before you're saved, you're just Mr. Hyde. But you get saved and now there's this Dr. Jekyll in you that wants to follow God, that wants to live for him, that wants to please him. But you still have Mr. Hyde inside of you. You've got this new nature that wants to please God, but you've got this old nature that wants to feed its sinful desires. But even though you battle against the same sinful flesh, you have a new perspective. And this is important. You see, even though we as Christians battle against the same flesh, we have a new perspective on life. Paul said, it's not me, the new me, that gives into these sinful desires and thoughts. He says, it's my sinful flesh, the old me, that's given into these sinful desires. And why is that important? Well, let me tell you why. Suppose in your old life you had this sinful habit that you didn't like. You would fall into this habit. You'd feel bad about it. You'd beat yourself up. You'd get better for a while. And then you'd fall back into the same old pattern again. Don't you believe that people that don't know Jesus can do that? I mean, there are people that don't know Jesus that don't want bad habits in their life. You can have people who are alcoholics know it's not good to be an alcoholic. They want to break free from alcoholism and, and yet they still struggle with it. And, and we can talk about any habit and every habit and we can talk about how God, um, how, how a person can, cannot know the Lord, cannot know God in a personal way and yet still want to break free from that. But then you become a Christian. But when you become a Christian you still struggle with those things. You fall back into those same old things again. And you start saying to yourself, see, nothing has changed. You feel bad. You feel like you're in this battle that you cannot win. But that's where you're wrong. Because you see, the Bible says that you're not in a battle that you cannot win. You are in a battle that you cannot lose because the battle has already been won. Can I get a witness? You see, the battle is not won by us. The battle is not won by our ability to say no to sin. The battle was won on the cross when Jesus took our place. And when we give our heart and our lives to Jesus, we're not in a battle that we constantly lose regardless of what it looks like. We are in a battle that we cannot lose. We may still struggle, and I'll tell you in a little bit why I believe God allows that to happen. But our ultimate outcome has already been determined. And as you continue to believe this, I guarantee you, you will find yourself saying, why doesn't that sin taste as good anymore? why don't I find the pleasure in that sin that I once did you see that's the difference between a believer at least one of the differences between a believer and a non-believer we can commit the same sins we can fall into the same old patterns but a non-believer is gonna enjoy the sin a believer is never going to have that peace in sin any more. And the reason is because that sin is no longer expressive of the real you. That sin is expressive of the dead you. The real you, Paul says, delights in God's law. The real you wants to do His will. You see, these sinful habits that we, that we may still struggle with, they are like Lazarus' grave clothes. They just don't suit you anymore. You weren't made to wear those. And even though you may put them on, they're just not going to be as comfortable as they were. And so what do we do? As we go through this life battling sin, As we go through this life recognizing that inside me there is a civil war raging. This new nature controlled by God's spirit battling the old nature that is controlled by sin. What am I supposed to do? Well, let me give you three things and then we're going to close. First of all, I would challenge you to live honestly. Take off the mask acknowledge your struggles admit your failures we as Christians can be some of the most pretentious people in the world we want people to think that we have it all together when the truth is we're living lives like we're a hot mess amen we come out on Sunday morning if we got kids we're rushing out the door We're fussing at our spouse. We're yelling at the kids. We drive up into the parking lot and everything changes. We put our happy face on, don't we? I mean, we do that. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We walk in. Someone says, how you doing today in your life group? How you doing today? Oh, man, I am blessed. I'm blessed. When your life is falling apart, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. I mean, you, you just you just had some terrible, awful thoughts last night that you're so ashamed of. I, I mean, you, you're you're in you're in agony. You're in pain. Oh, I'm blessed. Why? Because Christians are supposed to be blessed. And if I'm not living the blessed life, then something must be wrong with me and they won't have anything to do with me. Quit wearing the mask. Quit faking it. I mean, it may be your temper. It may be your pride. It may be your thoughts that you're too ashamed to even mention. It it could be resentment. It could be jealousy. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe you're just a negative person. Maybe you think the worst of people instead of the best in people. Maybe you're stingy. Maybe you're selfish. Maybe you're self-centered. I don't know. But quit wearing the mask. Can I tell you something? I want to let you in on a little secret. Most people may not see all that's under the mask, but they see what's under the mask. They see it. You think you're doing a great job faking everybody out. No, you're not. No, you're not. You get into a group and you're afraid to talk about some struggle you have because you're wondering what everybody else is going to think. Well, the problem is they're struggling with it too. And if they were willing to be honest, they would acknowledge it. But they're not. You see, oftentimes our problem is we get so afraid of being transparent and genuine with one another that we never, ever experience the fullness of joy that comes from Christ in us. Did you hear me? You need to understand that just as much as unconfessed sin keeps you from experiencing joy, living a hypocritical, counterfeit life, will keep you from experiencing joy I am convinced that if we are truly saved we are aware of our sinful flesh and we know it is a struggle and we may be ashamed to acknowledge it we may be afraid to admit it we may be wondering what people will think because we don't think we're supposed to have this struggle but I'm here to tell you I'm here to clue you in everybody in here has the struggle Some people are just too full of pride to admit it. Paul admitted it. I do things I don't want to do. I do things I hate. I don't do the things I want to do. I am miserable. I believe the closer you get to Jesus, hear me, The closer you get to Jesus, the more self-aware you are of yourself. The more aware you are of your failures, your shortcomings, your struggles. The closer you get to Jesus, yes, you become more holy. Yes, God gives you victory over certain sins, but as he gives you victory over some, you recognize that there's a host of others you haven't even acknowledged yet. That's what Paul is saying. John Calvin said it this way. He said without a true knowledge of self there is no true knowledge of God. Did you hear that? If you don't really know who you are you're never going to really know who God is. Calvin goes on to say the knowledge of self arouses the knowledge of God and leads us to Him. A true knowledge of who we are always leads us to an understanding of our great need for Him. Live honestly. Second. Love passionately. Now what am I talking about? I'm talking about love God's word. Love God's law passionately. Paul says this. He says, I have God's I love God's law with all my heart. God's law, it encompasses all of God's word. What Paul is saying is I love God's Word, and yet I find myself breaking God's Word. I encourage you to go home this morning after you go to Life Group, if you haven't been, and read Psalm 119. Read the entire Psalm. Listen to what David says in verse 97. Oh, how I love your instructions, your Word. He goes on to say, how sweet your Word's taste to me he says they are sweeter than honey your laws are my treasure they are my heart's delight I love your commands more than gold even the finest gold your laws are wonderful I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure those who love your instructions have great peace and he goes on and on and on listen very carefully you will never discover life the way God wants you to live it apart from time in God's Word. you got to love God's Word. you got to love His law. Some of you, you have time for social media, and you don't have time for God's Word. Some of you have time for your favorite show on TV, but you don't have time for God's Word. Some of you have time to go to the gym, but you don't have time for God's Word. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? I mean, we all have the things that we really like, we really enjoy. And what David told us is one of the secrets, one of the keys to living the joy-filled life is a love for God's Word. Now, will you read things as you get into God's Word that you don't understand? Absolutely. I read things that I don't understand. But I read much more that I do understand. There are times that God's Word encourages me. There are other times that God's Word rebukes me. There are times that God's Word gives me guidance. There are other times that God's Word gives me hope. God's Word opens our eyes to who He is. God's Word opens our eyes to how much He loves us. And God's Word opens our eyes to the plans and the desires He has for us. We will never see God do a work in us. And we will never see God do a work through us. Until we begin to have a love affair with God's Word. Finally, we depend totally. The one thing that is evident in this passage is that we are totally helpless we are totally hopeless on our own we don't have the power to to live the way we want to live much less live the way God wants us to live why is it that God allows us when we give our lives to Jesus to continue to go through struggles why is it that that someone who who struggles with homosexuality gets saved, and they pray and they pray and they pray for God to remove those homosexual desires, and and it seems like those desires are 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 never removed. That that happens. Uh, why is it that that an alcoholic gets saved, gives their life to Jesus, and they pray and they pray and they pray that God would take the desire, the temptation to drink away from them, and And until the day they die, perhaps as much as anything else in life, they would love to get a drink. Why is it that that even though we get saved and we desire to be generous people, we find ourselves stingy and greedy and, and we struggle with this desire to hold on to things, why is that? why is it that we get saved and we want to break free from all of these things but we don't why well maybe it's because it is in our struggles that we take our eyes off of I I me and we put them on Jesus you see if we had victory over every sin in our life and all the temptations were removed and we never had to battle. We never had to struggle. I'm here to tell you, we would get full of pride. We'd be walking down the road going, look at me. Look at who I am. Man, I'm something hot. I'm something special. Man, I'm on the 18. I'm a top draft pick. God's fortunate to have me in His church in his family, on his team. All those people at Northside, they better know what they got in me. And we get filled with our pride. You see, maybe the reason we we aren't given victory over all of our sins because it's only in our weakness that we see the greatness of Jesus. And that's what Paul says. He says, who can deliver me? Thank God the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. You will never live at peace when you're focusing on you. The only way to live at peace is to focus on Jesus. Why is it that most people that love Jesus, that have been born again, doubt their salvation? There's a lot of reasons. Three reasons, actually, I believe. No, two reasons, actually, that if you've really been saved, that you're going to doubt your salvation. But I believe the number one is this. We look in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, we're never going to be satisfied with who we are. We're going to be disappointed. When we look in the mirror, we're always going to be disappointed. But when we look to Jesus, we will always be comforted. You see, as long as I am looking at myself and what I can do and what I have done, I'm never going to live up to the expectations I set for myself, much less the expectations that I find in God's Word. But when I look to Jesus, hanging on that cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I realize it's not about what I do. It's about what he's already done. And he has given me the victory. And so listen, saint of God, you have already won the victory. You're not fighting for a victory. You are fighting from the victory. And so in closing, I want to share two things with you, and we're going to pray and we're going to have our altar time. The first thing is this, if you do not hate, if you do not hate your sin and your struggle with sin, you need to examine whether you're saved. You see, I'm not saying that as a Christian, you just look nonchalantly on your sin I'm not saying that you shouldn't be bothered by your sin. Paul was miserable when he gave in to sin. I'm saying that you need to understand that God's love for you and your love for Jesus isn't tied to your ability to do a set of do's and don'ts. It's tied to your relationship with Jesus that was determined on the cross so do you hate your sin do you hate your struggle with it because if you're here and you say you're a Christian and you're just excusing your sin you probably don't know Jesus second thing if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus because you don't think you can live up to the standard I got news for you you can't but neither can I And neither can the person sitting next to you. That's why Jesus came. And so if you're here and you're thinking, man, I would love to give my life to Jesus and experience forgiveness. Know what it is to be covered by His grace, but I just don't think I can live the life. You can't. That's why Jesus came. Give your life to Him. Trust Him. Surrender to Him. And He will make all things in you. And that doesn't mean that struggles won't continue. That doesn't mean that failures won't happen. They will. They do. It's not about you. It's about what he's done. And if you'll trust him, he'll save you. I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed. If you're here, say, Rocky, that's me. I've never really given my life to Jesus because I just didn't feel like I could live up to the standard. But now that I'm ready to give my life to him. I'm ready to, to embrace his forgiveness. I'm ready to walk in that forgiveness. Then I want to encourage you today to pray this prayer to him with all your heart. Dear God, I humbly come before you this morning acknowledging I I am a sinner. And on my own, I have no hope. I'm so sorry for living life my way. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for giving me a new hope, a new beginning, a new life. Today, I'm trusting you, Jesus. Today, I'm surrendering my life to you. And and Lord, today, I want you to fill me with your spirit. I know that I will struggle. I know that I will fall. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you because you're my only hope. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving.